Aubrey, how did I meet you? I met you through Brian Packin. Yeah, Pac-Man. Yeah, Pac-Man. I was just in New York. You were in Vegas, though. I was in Vegas with him. Yeah. We were at the Olympia, yeah. and we were um, we were in this our podcast here called Reps. We went to the Olympia, and we and we interviewed about twenty people. Yeah, which was phenomenal. Like some of the biggest fitness stars, freaks, call it what you want. Like yeah. we interviewed the guy who uh, broke the bench press record. I think he benched like seven seven forty. Yeah, I don't remember, but I just remember like getting lost looking at him. Like I don't want to say the wrong thing. He's one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. This guy kind. had to weigh four hundred and forty pounds. And Super we, nice. We and we and we turned to him. I'm like, how did the seven? Because he because he hit seven forty two. And I said, how did it? Yeah. How did it feel? And he goes, you know when a weight feels really heavy? And I said, yeah. And he goes, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> so I met him through my buddy Brian Packin, who is a really good collegiate ball player. Um, has known Aubrey for years. Um, has opened a bunch of lounges in the city. He's doing really well. And we hit it off, and we just kind of got on some fitness talks. And and when was that? When did you meet? Uh, probably Brian and I. No, no, no. Aubrey, uh, uh, probably what? The last year or so, right? At least. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was about probably last year. I think I came to New York last year, and we did a Yankees game, and I was talking to Carrie, his wife, and talking about wanting to get in, like, really good shape. Oh, we have a great friend here named Dodd Saladino, and he trains all the superhero mm -hmm. guys. I'm like, holy shit, okay. So that's how we got in contact. It was cool. So we became really friendly, and um, – you know, he's had, I, I always heard of his name, so it was fun for me to be able to meet him because I'm a big, as you know, a big baseball guy and, mm -hmm. you know, followed pretty much all of his career. And um, he's got a great story with the World Series. And you won your World, you won two World Series in the last, like, three years of your career, right? Can you can you talk I about did. that first? So, uh, so yeah, talk about that. Um, I won uh, two World Series last three, 2010 to 2012. Um, 2012 was one of those years where I really wasn't playing much. And it was kind of, I was, re I was on the retirement side of it. I had a younger player take my job and, I just felt like it was time to walk away, you know. I had some uh, issues mentally with anxiety and depression. And, you know, I just felt like I was, it was the right time for me. And I walked away in Detroit, swept the Tigers, and Oslo Wego. Bye-bye. It's kind of okay. funny. We can talk about that. Are we are we doing this right now? Are we started. Yeah, 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 man. We're on, man. Yeah. We're on. Yeah, okay. I don't know how this is working. We're, so, like, yeah, really relaxed. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Pretty easy. Um, um, yeah, so 2010 was – in 2012 were completely – different experiences for me in 2010 i was seventh in the league and mvp voting for the national league you know i hit 26 homers 90 something rbis hit 290 for the giants hitting in the middle of the lineup and you know i was kind of a leader in the clubhouse and on the field and and had that goofy personality kept the clubhouse loose and then in 2012 just went batshit crazy you know with anxiety depression stuff like that i was actually uh, a ghost that year man that went through a 60-day deal with you know, massive anxiety problems, taking Xanax like their Skittles. And, you know, I basically was just a, uh, a playoff. I was wondering if I was going to make the playoff roster in 2012. And as a courtesy, Bruce Bochy put me on, I think. And uh, he really, I think I had one or two at bats in, in the playoffs, and that was it, man. And I was like, you know what? It's time to go. I was 36 years old, maybe 37. And uh, my kids were four and two and ready to ride off into the sunset, thinking that was going to cure the anxiety. But, it kind of got worse in the transition phase. Um, you know, hear a lot of athletes talk about how hard it is to transition out of professional sports. And um, I, I was no different, man. I, and very few people get out of pro sports and, and have an easy transition. And, and I, it was really tough for me. Were you suffering from anxiety and depression in 2010 as well? No, no, 2010. Well, it's, it's an interesting, so I, I got an interesting story. So pretty much my entire career up till 2009, I played the game clean. Right. And then in 2009, I was in Chicago and I was sitting down in uh, this black leather chair in, in uh, at White Sox Field. 
and I had a massive hangover that day. We had a one o'clock day game and I'm like, oh shit, I don't want to play baseball today. And it's literally an hour before the game. I'm still in my clothes from the night before. And uh, I was a real, I was a train wreck at this time. Tired of getting my ass kicked from the American League East all those years. And I was at ball, I was at the Orioles at the time. And prior to the Orioles, I was in the Tampa Bay Rays for six years. So I was in the basement of the American League East for nine straight years. So losing was getting to me. I was getting tired of baseball. And, you know, there I was hung over at, uh, you know, noon for an hour for a day game in Chicago. And a teammate walks in and he goes, hey, man, you look like you're struggling. I'm like, yeah, man, you could say that. He goes, I got something that uh, can cure you. I'm like, really, what do you got? He goes, well, have you been popped for a uh, drug test before? And I go, no, because in Major League Baseball, you get a freebie, right? If you get caught, you get a slap on the wrist. Whatever. I'm like, what the hell? I've never been caught for a drug test. I'll give it a shot. And I asked him what it was. He said, it's Adderall. I'm like, all right, I've heard about it. I mean, it can't be that bad. And so he comes in here, he t- gives me this little 20 milligram extended release Adderall. It felt like a feather, like this ain't going to do shit, right? Popped it. And if you guys have seen Limitless with Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. right? 20 minutes later, that's what it felt like as he's walking up those stairs, the lights are turning on, you could hear everything, the smells, the every, every sense of my body was like euphoric. I jumped out of that uh, lazy boy, ran to my teammates' uh, locker room or locker and gave him a big hug. It's like, this is the best shit I've ever taken in my life. <laughs> Hit the field running and for three straight years i took adderall every day um and it increased more and more as i went on because you're you're losing the effect as you take you know you know you have to build up that tolerance to get more and more and more and what i found with that drug is yes it, it it's a super mental thing for you it makes you feel invincible mentally but you can't turn it off you know i, I found myself impossible to sleep at nighttime unless i pounded like 12 beers just essentially passed out and so i did that basically for three years and then in 2012, I got sober, and, and that was my last year in the big leagues, and I couldn't handle playing baseball without it. I think that's when the anxiety and the depression started, because I was getting off the Adderall, and I'm playing in front of 40,000 people. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, the pressure's on you, and now you're feeling all that pressure that was masking before with the Adderall. Man, that's got to feel weird to for your almost your whole career that you're, you're going out there, doing your job, and I'm assuming enjoying it, and then you start to kind of feel that way just feel all that that pressure and feel like people are staring that that must have been really shitty well you know it's funny i mean when i look back at it now i never truly i think played the game in my right mind even before the adderall i mean i i numb myself almost nightly with boots mm-hmm. so and you know that was just a thing when you when i came up that that was the time uh you know late 90s early 2000s you know all the way through the 2000s a lot of old school players and that was the game when i came up you know you're gonna play the game you're gonna have a 12 pack laying by your locker after the game and that's what everybody did and so that's kind of what i grew up into the game today has changed a lot of guys are into basically year-round health don as you know um these guys are working out there is no off season for these guys and so they take extremely good care of themselves and the drug testing now is, is way better than it ever has been so I think they've really done a good job in Major League Baseball getting rid of, of, of most of the drugs. A lot of guys are going to get popped now. They're, it's such a strong drug test. Do you, so you, you think the league's a lot cleaner? Than, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, was, you, you look at the guys playing now. You look yeah. at a guy like uh, Christian Yelich and yeah. Cody Bellinger. These guys are 6'2", soaking wet. They're 195. And they're, 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 they're what A-Rod looked like when he, when he came into the league. It was just right, such, right. A, such a different element. But now what's, what's, what's kind of ironic about it is, um, did you watch the Home Run Derby this year? 
I did a little bit. A little yeah, bit. well, a couple of guys who aren't big guys, they're, they're hitting the ball 450, 460 feet. And you know the game well. It's like to do that off of that speed pitching, for me, I was like, all right, well, is the, well, is the ball juice now? Are they juicing something different right now? And what was your opinion on that? I'm just curious, personally. Well, I mean, so when I came up, you hit 30 home runs. That's a big deal. It's ridiculous. You know, yeah. It's a ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. you, are a, you are a top 10 player in baseball if you hit 30 home runs. Ridiculous. If you look on the, if you look on the stats now, league leaders – 75 80 guys have 30 home runs now it's and to me that's a telltale sign something's going on and and i've spoke to multiple guys that i've played with over the years who are still in coaching in the major leagues or you know they're still up in the big leagues doing uh you know a lot of those guys are in the tampa bay rays i got like four or five coaches on the tampa bay rays that i've played with and i've asked them to a man what is these balls is this wounding these balls wound tighter like they say they are they're going aubrey not only they wound tighter but the seams they're lower so you're essentially hitting a golf ball now is what these guys are saying. So, oh, um, and it's making, it's making the pitchers throw harder because there's less resistance, but at the same time, all you got to do is tap a bit, tap it out there. And that ball's going to go. I mean, you've hit a golf ball with aluminum bat or a wooden bat. It's oh, yeah. jumps, right? I mean, I've seen I, 15, 20 guys this year hit a home run out in front on their back leg, knee on the ground. I saw Todd Frazier do it this week. He literally was off his front foot. And yeah. when he was coming around the bases, he was actually laughing. Right, he was exactly. laughing and he was just like I mean it was so ridiculous the, the ball got out and I was like I, I just always I never really understood I mean whether you're a baseball fan or not like you play in a hockey arena it's the same size rink right. you play in a football field the dimensions are the exact same Yeah, you know baseball is one of the only sports besides golf where yeah you, you know outfield walls are a little bit different yeah 60 feet 6 inches from home to first 90 feet uh, from home to the pitcher's mound 90 feet from home to first but, you know, right field, Pesky's pole. You, know, you got Yankee Stadium right field. You have the Green Monster. All these dimensions are changing. The Colorado Rockies, suddenly the air thinner. And you really do have an advantage at certain parks. Um, I just I wish there was a way they could almost kind of systemize yeah. that a little bit more to where it was yeah. a level playing field. It's funny, that you, it's funny you said that, Don, because I say that all the time. And, and as a guy like yourself who's played the game, right, you get yeah. it. Right? Yeah. And I think only the people that have played the game understand this. I've said this multiple times to uh, – you know, some of the reporters in San Francisco when I played there, as you know, in San Francisco, it's 421 feet to right center with a 40-foot wall, right? And oh so God. as a left-handed hitter, you're like, okay, I play 81 games here a year, right? That year I hit 26, and I, that year I had 26 in 2010, I could hit 40 if it I was playing. 40, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in Yankee Stadium, it's a joke. So if you're going to pay on stats, you know, and, and these multi-million dollar contracts make every field the same i just didn't know if if you think that the officials for major league baseball want more home runs because it's more excitement it's like it brings fans in even though if i were you i'd be pissed off like you had to work <laughs> harder to hit home runs and it's now they're just giving them away almost yeah it's almost like i feel <laughs> i tell my friends this all the time i feel like i was 10 years too early to the to the party <laughs> you know what I mean? it, it, it seems like uh the, not only the home runs that they're hitting now, but the money they're shelling out. Like, I remember my first year coming to the big leagues, one of the biggest deals was Greg Vaughn for, for the Rays that I was playing. He signed a four-year $40 million. That was huge, life-changing money then. Now that's just a – that's like a third-year player kind of money. You know what I mean? It's just uh, these $300 million contracts. It's just exploded in the last 10 years. And, and, um, and, and i, I got to be honest with you. I think fans – they don't give a shit about the no hitter or the the one nothing games. They want to see long ball, like you, 
like that commercial back in the 90s, I think it was, Don. It was the uh, Chicks Dig the Lawn Ball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Nobody's coming to a baseball game to watch a pitcher's duel. They want to see bombs, and that's bombs are sexy. Let's let's dive into the fitness portion of it for a second. There was a, there was a movie that came out probably in the early to mid 90s, right when that steroid era started to we started to kind of hit it. And it was called I think it was called Super Sluggers. And it basically interviewed, I don't know if you ever remember it, but it, it interviewed like the biggest hitters in baseball. And I saw an old clip of it the other day and I could not believe how massive these guys were. You know, you had Canseco, yeah. Piazza, McGuire. It's sad in a way because yeah, you have that you have that time frame in the nineties where it's just like one big asterisk next to it. And when you yeah. go to guys' baseball cards, you look and I still never want to take away from their ability, but suddenly it's like that three, four year span, you know what I'm talking about? Forty two home runs, forty seven home runs, you're like, Oh, that was it right there. It's that shaded yeah. in area. It it is such a pure game and it is something that I it's a game that I love and I respect and you never wanna see it tarnished. All the stuff that happened with, with uh Bud Selig was the commissioner at the at the time. Do you think he yeah. approached it in, incorrectly? Um, do you think he kind of dove into it and turned over too many stones from the past um, when it came to who was taking what? Do you think he should have focused more on the future and more well, on What I think Bud Selig did wrong was, okay, so when we almost lost baseball to the strike in 94, right? A lot of fans were turned off. People were running away from baseball, and the attendance was way down. And I think what happened was you got the guys like Canseco, McGuire, Sammy Sosa, all these guys all of a sudden start juicing really heavy, start hitting like, 60 70 home runs the home runs brought people back the fans came back in droves and bud Seelig, bud Seelig was reveling in the newfound attendance you know like he had brought baseball back from the grave and i think bud Seelig took a lot of credit for that what i found uh kind of hypocritical on his end was whenever now these guys start getting busted for steroids and the fans are starting to like really come about and trying to catch these guys they're juicing up now all of a sudden he starts turning on these guys that brought baseball back so when, he, when all these guys were juiced and hitting homers, he was all for yeah. it. But whenever it was time for him to make a move, when everybody's putting pressure on him, then he then he buried these guys. And, you know, so you can't have your cake and eat it, too. And so that's where I saw, uh, you know, a little bit of hypocrisy with Bud Seeley. Did you feel uh, pressure to, to jump in on, on the steroid use, too? Because if you're seeing people get bigger and stronger and blasting home runs and you want to stay, you know, you want to stay competitive. Like, did you ever really wanted you know or dabble or consider it it's a great question absolutely and i did i did i did it in 2004 um see i came off a 311 season with the rays hit 34 bombs had 111 ribbies i led the team and everything and i'm seeing these guys hit 50 i'm like shit man okay these guys are juiced up maybe if i juice up i'll hit 50 next year so I went in the offseason. I did a cycle. Um, I did I did like a six week cycle. That's really it. But I worked my ass off. And and how, how did it feel? feel? I, I feel I felt every day I woke up. I felt energized. Right. I didn't necessarily feel like I gained a lot of weight. It was a six week cycle. Right. I didn't just juice myself. Right. You know, all year long. So you know, I don't think I gave it a time enough time to get really monstrous. But I felt through that process, my daily workouts were through the roof. My recovery was amazing. I was able to, to bounce back daily and really lift hard. But the ironic part was that next year, I think I only hit, you know, two, two, 260 with 21 homers. And, you know, I struck out a lot. It just, I kind of had a down year. So I'm like, okay. So I just kind of took it as a bad omen and never did it again. What percentage of the league do you think? And I, I know you, you, we're not asking you to disclose certain names, but what percentage of the league at that time do you think was on it? And I've heard some high numbers there, like 80%, 70%. Oh, man, I, you know, I don't know if it's 
consistently on it. I'd say consistently on no, it. No, back then, back then, back then yeah. when you were taking. Back, back then, probably consistently, guys are on it all the time, pretty much year round. I would say probably around forty percent. Okay, what about but, just doing what you did, like just touching it once? Guys that dabbled in it, like me, probably eighty percent. Huh. Yeah, yeah, right. just just wanted to give it a whirl and see what it does. You know, I know a lot of guys that did in the off season, they're like, and they felt guilty like I did, and um, and just felt like they were cheating themselves and worried about their potential future health and stuff like that. And some guys just don't give a shit. They're like, you know what? I have my one chance to make this money here. I got to, I'm not all that talented, but if I got bigger and stronger and faster, I can make life-changing money and set my family up for the rest of their life. And, and you don't really know what this stuff's going to do to you in the future. Do you feel, uh, I have a note here from uh, one of our editors that helped with some research that uh, you think you're a better athlete now than when you retired. Is that true? And why is that? You know, I, I, I really do. I wish I would have taken better care of myself when I played, you know. But it's also like the Mickey Mantle syndrome. I look back at my life and I go, you know what? What if I would have taken good care of myself? I was completely sober the entire time, and then I might have thought too much, right? I don't know. And uh, I just enjoyed the, the, the lifestyle of baseball coming up as a young man. I enjoyed the, you know, the party scene, the, 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 all the bars, and the, being that kind of guy that was living on the edge. And I kind of got off on that, right? And it, it gave me confidence on the field for whatever reason. And I feel like if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have that edge. But you know, having said that, I think if I had a better mental frame back then, um, a little bit more confidence in myself, and I didn't drink, I didn't do all that stuff, I probably could have been a 300-plus homer guy, Hall of Fame type dude, 300 career average, over 1,000 ribs. I probably could have been a lot better. When you were writing uh, Baseball Junkie, uh, mm -hmm. your book, was there certain parts or certain stories, A, that you didn't remember and maybe had to gloss over or that were really difficult and tough for you to, to relive? Yeah, 1,000%. Um, when you're on Adderall, you lie so much that you almost forget your own lies and you almost really, you say it so many times in your life that you believe it's the truth, right? And so as you're writing some of this stuff, I'm like, wait a minute, did that really happen? Or was I, did I lie about that so often that, that in my mind it became truth? I had to like go back and ask teammates, was it, did I really do that? Like, no, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just, uh, you know, especially in my marriage, you know, I got three years there where I was a complete degenerate, you know, in my marriage. I didn't, you know, come home, even at home before in the morning. And, uh, you know, I wrote about sneaking around on my wife and cheating and ultimately it destroyed my marriage in the end. You know, uh, she took me back for about the last six years. We got divorced two years ago, but there was that mistrust that we tried to get over was just too much over those six years. I felt it. She knew it, but we pretended for so long. And then eventually we just kind of, you know, after the Adderall never cheated, did anything like that. And, and, uh, but that connection I had before that with her and our intimacy and, and our respect and our trust was just destroyed. So, How much Adderall uh, were you taking? What's that? How much Adderall were you taking? How many milligrams uh, were you taking? Well, I mean, I started off with 20. You know, that's the right. recommended dose for a guy my size, 20 milligrams of Adderall. And, and I found by the next year, um, midway through the season, I was like, this really isn't doing as much anymore. So the doctor comes in and is like, um, hey, so how are you feeling Adderall? Well, honestly, I feel like it's kind of wearing off. I don't feel like I'm getting the, the hit it used to. And he goes, well, you're a bigger guy. You want to try 40? And I'm like, oh, you're going to double it like that? Goes, sure, you can handle it. I'm like, okay. So I started doing 40. I was like, oh, there it is, right? And uh, by the end of my addiction, or it was in 2000, 
2011, towards the end of 2011, I was, I was pushing probably a hundred milligrams a day and it wasn't even mine. I was just like, I couldn't even get that kind of prescription. They wouldn't give it out to me, but I was mm -hmm. taking my 40 and then asking teammates midway through the, Hey, you got any more Adderall? Like just really addicted. You know, I, now I get the addiction side of people. So what, so what were some of the, if you don't mind me asking, what, what are some of the side effects? Cause there are people listening to this and you know, I, I do hear a lot of people who do take it. I take Adderall. Well, yeah, I've I know been, you're, I, I'm prescribed Adderall for the last, uh, maybe since 2012 or 2013. Uh, but I'm, I'm also really careful as to how I take it. I don't, I won't, I don't go 20 is what I take. That's it. How are, are you there? sitting still right now? <laughs> because, because if I don't take it, that's when I am unable to not even just sit still. Like I'll be, it, it, it's, it was prescribed to me for a reason because I was really having a lot of troubles uh, concentrating. I couldn't, I mean, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an editor and I couldn't read. I'd be reading the same passages and they weren't, they weren't, they weren't working. And my, my wife, my now wife would tell me that, you know, you're jumping around, your story's your sentences aren't even complete and I didn't know it. So right. when I went to the doctor, I, I initially told them I didn't want to take it because I thought it was, you know, that's what weak people do. They take medicine, but mm -hmm. it got to the point where I was just, I would have done anything. What are so some desperate. of the side effects yeah. though? Like, like why is it, and I'm sorry, I don't know, I do not know enough about this area, obviously, but what are some of the well, side effects? Why is it so bad for you? It's an amphetamine. Well, I gotta tell you, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, a, it's basically meth, right? Mm -hmm. And. And I gotta, you know, your story with 20 milligrams, I gotta be honest, if I just took 20 milligrams, I feel like that's the best version of myself, but I can't stop at 20. Right. You know, if I can just take 20, time release at eight in the morning and, and keep it all the way till three, four, but I get around three or four, it starts dying down and my brain's like more and more and more, I can't help it, I'll go pop another one. And before yeah. you know it, I'm 60 milligrams deep, I'm like, oh gosh, I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's some yeah. of the side effects for me, right? So it turns me into like, instead of having a drink or two, I'll drink a 12 packs just to go to sleep. And it turns, Adderall turns me into this sexual deviant. Like I, I'm a walking boner walking around. The <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, I don't know, man. It's just crazy. I, it's the most like, and, I, and I've read where Adderall causes guys to have sexual dysfunction. I'm like, oh, well, that's not my case. That's not no, my case, right. Not mine. Right. So um, you pretty much, cut back I mean you've cut back on on even even drinking you really you and I talked about you really yeah. pick your pick your battles now like you yeah. you enjoy you and I have had conversations and you don't mind me talking about but it, it's one of those things where you can go out and have it in moderation you have your fun here and there but you really are conscious now about your health your fitness and your wellness can you start talking about like when this made a change for you like how did you kind of hit the reset button what are specific things that started you started prioritizing well, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, you got to do things for the right reasons. When I, you know, when I wanted to get off Adderall, the first, the only time I really wanted to get off Adderall is I was trying to get my wife back. She left me and I went into rehab just because she wanted me to, to get my wife and kids back. Because when I went to rehab, that's all I wanted was to get them back. I didn't want to do it for myself. So I think, you know, when I got out of rehab, I relapsed again because I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. So whenever I decided to quit again, it was because I wanted it. And I think that's what you have to do in any walk of life if you wanna get off anything. I really believe that you can get off anything you want, cold turkey, without going to rehab anything if you desperately want it. First of all, that was what I wanted. I desperately wanted it myself. And then I had to take steps, certain things I needed to do in my life to get myself straight. You know, I, I got more. I got in line with God and my faith, first of all. I get up in the morning, I you know, read a 
passage of the Bible or two. I'd watch a motivational video, like a Tony Robbins thing or something like that. Get off my ass, get right out of the house, cup of coffee, and then get in the gym. I made that a priority. Um, you know, at the time I was uh, probably 245 pounds, just kind of a lard ass and felt lethargic, had no energy or motivation. And it didn't happen overnight. These steps I started taking with the gym daily, the first two months in the gym were a grind. You know, it was just trying to find that motivation as my brain started rewiring. And even in the gym when I was lifting, I was had instead of listening to music, I was listening to like this inspirational speech music with like Tony Robbins in the foreground talking shit to me, right? And you know, it just it works. I, yeah. And and I started rewiring my brain. Um and I think that's where it all starts, is right up here. And and that's what Adderall does. It helps you in here without trying. Right. But right. then the next morning you wake up and if you don't have that Adderall, you're dead. So what's a typical day like, like for you now? <laughs> well, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, when you retire from baseball or any professional sport, you know, you go through this transition of trying to figure out where you, a lot of guys jump right back into to coaching or they go into the media world where, you know, I think when you coach or you're in the media world, you're away from your family as much as you were when you're a player. So with my two kids, I didn't want to do that. So it took me a while to really kind of catch what I wanted to do. And if I'm being honest with you, I still am trying to figure out what it is I really want to do. I've done the network marketing thing where, you know, you go out and you're on the phone for all day long explaining shit to people. <laughs> I didn't want to do that, right? I lasted a year in that. Um, I did some volunteer coaching. Um, I, I could hop in the minor leagues right now and start coaching, but I'd be away from my kids. Don't want to do that. And um, I did a sports talk radio show for San Francisco in 95-7 the game for about six months. I was up at four in the morning doing a six to 10 show every day. And I found that line of work very negative in nature. As you guys know, any kind of sports talk is all bullshit. You know, I don't <laughs> care how good a guy does. It's, they always want the worst in people. And uh, that wasn't good for where I was in my life. And, um, and so now I'm just doing some, I was doing some podcasting for a while. We've kind of taken a break on it right. for the last month because I feel I've been doing it for six months and I don't know how you guys are doing on your podcast, but I feel like my first show was, I was getting about a thousand downloads. You know, I don't know what, if that's any good or not. And I did a Bruce Bochy episode three weeks ago. Yeah. And that was from the first time to Bruce Bochy for six months. I had 800 downloads. So it right. wasn't even, it, 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 we weren't even taking any steps. Right. I think myself, I'm spending a thousand dollars a week or every two weeks to fly to Arizona, hotel stay, editing all this stuff for this deal. And I'm getting 800 people listen to it. Yeah, it wasn't making sense it, to me. It, so I can, no, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah I, I took it. a step back and I got to find some better way to market it. I'm not. I, I'm terrible at social media. You, you know, actually, no, you're not. Everybody, no, you're no not. yeah, everybody laughs. Uh, your your Twitter, hey, you're really good at uh, agitating people. But the, it's like <laughs> that's somebody. Uh, you know, another one of our editors was like, dude, his Twitter is awesome. Like, have you seen it? And I hadn't, and I went on there, and you know. Yeah, I get it. It's it's so you're not bad at social. I gotta media. get on Twitter. I gotta get a, I gotta get on Twitter a little bit more. It's the no, one you don't. No, yeah. It's been enough time. Stay positive, my friend. If you get on Twitter, <laughs> just it just drags you right in the dirt, man. Did you feel like you were around a lot of negative people in the major leagues, or did you feel like you were? No, um, no. Pretty much really good um, I've, everybody that's in the major leagues, you're not in the major leagues unless you're a positive thinking individual. I don't care what you are. If you're successful anywhere in life. You yeah. don't see anybody that's millionaires and successful, and they're just dragging around moping. They yeah. may be they they may be unhappy in their home life, you know, or what have you. But 
they're when they're making that kind of money, they're crushing it, you know, um, positively in in their career. But um, you know, I found that world kind of interesting. I did the Tony Robbins UPW here in Los Angeles about a year ago, and you know, you, that kind of energy. Four days, you're just jumping up and down. I've never done this in my life where I'm completely sober. Music's going, and everybody around me, 10,000 people are jumping up and down. I'm doing the same at first. I'm like faking. I'm like, this is fucking weird, man. If you were to turn to me when I was in college and tell me I would have had a 13-year career, two World Series championships, hit a career average of about 278 with, I think, about 1,699 hits, I would have been like, dude, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, And looking at, some of your, looking at some of your strongest years, and there was a lot of them, um, they were Hall of Fame numbers that you put up. I mean you gotta feel really good about that i mean would you mind starting and this is the greatest story and i, I think i i think i slightly remember it but i don't want to say it's a great story but it really was an inspiring story about the batting cage and the 200 balls right. that you hit every day and this is just something i want people because we're talking about visualization we're talking about tony we're talking about where you put your mind for those years in the batting cage can you repeat that a little bit right yeah. now so yeah, when I was six years old, my, my father was tragically murdered in Abilene, Texas. Um, and my mom at the time, she was working as a Winn-Dixie meat market manager. And I had a sister at the time who was four years old, so she was raising the both of us, you know, a single mother. And uh, over the next year, I really took a liking to baseball. My, you know, I, I just started watching the Texas Rangers on my grandma's TV growing up in Arlington, Texas. And my grandmother was a diehard Texas Rangers fan. and. Her favorite player was Jeff Houston, the shortstop for the Rangers. And my mom one day started realizing, hey, I was really enjoying baseball. And she surprised us, um, me and my sister, after work one day with two tickets to a Rangers game. And I couldn't be more stoked, man. I got, we went to the game. And at the time, as a six-year-old kid, I, had, I was starting to paint like these logos of each Major League Baseball team on these little small, thin canvases. And I happened to have my Texas Rangers ones that was already completed. So... I took a Sharpie or like a pen or whatever it was. I don't think I had Sharpies at the time, but some black marker. Took it to the uh, dugout right next to batting practice for the Rangers game. And I'm holding up that canvas as a six-year-old kid. And wouldn't you know it, Jeff Houston was the first guy in batting practice who came walking over to me and said, hey, son, you make that yourself? I'm like, I sure did. And I told him, you're my grandmother's favorite player. And he was like smiling and blushing. And he signs my uh, canvas and he got he yelled at every guy that was sitting there taking batting practice about I think I got 12 more guys came over there and started and signed my canvas. So I left there with 13 different autographs from Texas Rangers guys on that canvas. And, you know, it was in that moment that I realized like baseball became my father. I just became obsessed with it from that moment on seeing these big, strong men. I didn't have a father figure growing up. So baseball players became my father figure. And I remember getting in that car after that game, I had no idea who won the game that, that night. But I remember asking my mom in the back seat, I said, Mom, if you buy me a batting cage and a pitching machine one day, I'm going to make it the big leagues, I'll buy you a house and a car. And, uh, you know, as a single mom, a Winn-Dixie salary, that's a tough stretch, right? And, you know, so a couple of years go by and, you know, I'm, I'm nine years old now and she sees I'm loving baseball, right? I'm still playing Little League, the whole nine yards. And, and uh, Christmas time, when I was nine years old, I'm opening presents with my sister, my mom, my, my grandpa and grand, grandma. And everybody's got a present open there's one left i haven't opened one yet my sister opens i start crying i have no presents i'm thinking my soul oh shit santa claus thinks i'm a bad kid right <laughs> and uh, my grandpa's kind of a tough ass redneck texan boy and man and he picks me up. oh quit your bitching son let's, let's. he blindfolded me walked me outside and popped open my uh my uh, handkerchief i had on there it was 
that uh, pitch machine that was constructed by himself and maybe a couple other guys of his buddies and and a pitch machine and i told my mom and right then i said mom i'm gonna hit 200 balls a day to the day i graduate high school and one day i'm gonna buy you that house and car i promise you and no shit guys every day i'd hit 200 balls all the way up till high school and in the meantime doing that not only was i hitting i was picturing myself every ball i was hitting hitting a game-winning home run down the right field line in Arlington Stadium during the World Series. And uh, so fast forward to 2010, I'm with the Giants and we're playing the Texas Rangers in Arlington Stadium game three. And Andres Torres leads off the top of the third with a double. It's a 0-0 game, the top of the third, one out. I come up and just the hairs on the back of my neck started standing up. I dug in and like something cool was about to happen. I had no idea what it was. It was just, I just, something was different that at bat. And, and I told myself, I'm swinging first pitch no matter what. This is bad. Tommy Hunter threw me an 89-mile-hour cutter middle end. I hit it right down the right field line, just like I envisioned all those times as a kid. Um, and, and we ended up winning the game, I think, two to nothing. It was a game-winning home run in the World Series. And it was one of those things where, you know, you look back at it, and my mind had been there so many damn times that it made it happen in real life. Now, it took 20 freaking years to get to that moment. I think a lot of people give up on their dreams and think it's not happening. They're thinking possibly, but it took me 20 years to get to that moment. And my mind had just known what to do at that moment. But I'll, 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 I'll go back and say when I did sign my first big contract in, uh, with the Rays in 2003, and uh, I remember when I got the first deal, my first order of business was to take care of my mom. And um, so one morning I, I said, hey, mom, it's going to be a, a son and – Son of Monday, I want you to get ready. I'm going to take you to breakfast. Just going to have a great day. This is right after I signed my deal. So I go, I, uh, I go pick her up. I drive her to breakfast. And after breakfast, we go right to the Dodge Ram dealership. As soon as we pull into the parking lot, she knew. She started crying. And she, so she picked out her. She's a redneck woman. She bought herself a truck. And I signed the papers there. She's balling, you know, the whole deal. Gets in her truck. And I said, all right, Mom, follow me. We got one more place I want to take you. Now, about a month or prior to this, I'd already been trying to look for a little place on the beach in St. Petersburg, Florida, and found a little two-story beach bungalow for her and uh, bought it and just waited for the right time to, once it was closed and everything, to have it all set up. So she follows me all the way to the beach. I'm driving to this new little pad. As I'm pulling in the driveway, she almost rear-ends me in the back because I just see her just bawling already. The lady was standing by the for sale sign, the, the real estate agent, we get out of the car, she, she can barely even stand, she's so emotional. And so we're sitting there by the for sale sign, the lady says, congratulations, here's your new home, hands her the keys. I'm crying, my mom's crying, the, the freaking real estate lady's crying, right? Yeah, it was I'm, just like I'm, already, I'm already losing it right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a really cool thing to be able to, oh, to, to see a dream so much that you can not only you know, make your dream come true, but keep a promise of somebody else. And that was a lot of why I was doing what I did in the batting cage, to keep that dedication because of a promise I made to my mom. I mean, I think a lot of times you have to have a why of why you're doing things and why you're trying to accomplish what you want to accomplish because we'll give up on ourselves if when the going gets tough, right? A lot of us will. Um, but you have to have a more compelling reason, I think, whether it's your kids or somebody you made a promise to, like my mom. And you've got to have some stronger why than just yourself. And my mom was that why. Do you think you're making the big leagues if your grandfather and mom doesn't surprise you with that batting cage? No shot in hell. 
It's <laughs> it's amazing, right? And one 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 amazing act from your grandfather and his friends to put that thing together legitimately gave you a drive and focus for the next however many years of your life. And just like me, I mean, listen, I got emotional hearing that story. I continue to love to hear that story. And we watched. I mean, I've seen that home run. I don't know how many times, but I do remember when you when you hit it. Um, the ball actually disappeared into the black. I don't even yeah. think you're able to see that land. That's how far you hit that ball. So I don't care what stadium that's in. I don't care what park, Yellowstone Park, wherever it is, that ball's leaving. So it's, it's a bomb. So, I mean, it's just such a good story, man, honestly. Um, got anything more to add besides me being like a teary mess right now? No, me? no. That's a, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, man. The, the 20 milligrams of Adderall has got to make it. <laughs> I, 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 it honestly, that just was a, that was a deep story, man. Like I, I was kind of lost in it, to be honest with you. Like that's not what I expected to hear. That's not, I think Don left out some of the details. So it really is a heavy story. Like I, I, I didn't know that, that about your dad. Uh, that's a, a, another thing. So it's, I'm still just catching up on all that. That's, that's a lot of shit to get through and. You know, it's good that you had that support. As much as you said that your grandpa could be a hard ass, it's kind of, it's really cool that he turned around and, you know, gave you an outlet to really, you know, something to focus on too that's car- stuck with you even till now. I mean, you've, you vividly recall that stuff. Yeah, I think, I think anything you're, su- if you're successful in life, there's always somebody that's there to help you along. Nobody does it by themselves, right? And you never really realize the kind of lives you're impacting at the time you're doing it. Like right now, I can't even tell you, one day I ho- I'm hoping to see like when I'm, 80 years old, you know, there's several people or even my kids, even whoever, maybe one person because of, hey, what you did right there changed my life. And I'm here today because of what you did. And I, I that's, that's what it's all about. I can't stand it when people say self-made, like suddenly someone who receives help, like devaluing them. I received a lot of help, you know, ever mm-hmm. since I was a kid from the love, love and support of my mother when I was battling with a stuttering problem and a hearing problem. To, which is why I got into fitness, coming home crying every day in the second grade and dealing with those insecurities and emotions is the reason why I went on the path of fitness and why I fell in love with sports and baseball. And looking back on it now, I would have said, oh God, I mean, you know, I wish, I'm, thank God those events didn't change, otherwise I wouldn't be where right. I was. I mean, fortunately I didn't have to go through what you went through with your father, but you know, I do believe, Aubrey, I've had the privilege of being able to meet you and know you over the last year, and I I know the first chapter of your life, it's a chapter. I know for a fact you're gonna go on to great things, even greater things, you know, you're, you're incredibly charismatic. I almost hear like, your story is such a good story. In a way, I almost feel like he needs to be going around telling people about this. So, I don't know, maybe the modern day Tony Robbins right now we have sitting in front of us, but it's pretty good stuff. Is, really. that, <laughs> is, is that something that you've thought about? Have you thought about going around and, 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 and telling more people about your about your story and how they can i do i do it quite often to like smaller groups schools uh church groups stuff like that to this day um but as far as the the personal development industry that's the public speaking industry it's a tough sell to get into because there's so many people doing it it's almost like the podcasting world everybody and their mother's doing it nowadays right um so you know i i actually did a podcast with uh, ed mylett he's over here in laguna beach and and he's really good friends with Tony Robbins. And and uh, when I told my story to him, he's like, holy crap, he said the same thing. You got to get out there and start doing that. I'm like, well, you know Tony, don't you? You know, you, yeah. you got you to start somewhere, right? And, you know, I've been doing some small things, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, just the right person has to hear it. You know, it's these, I don't want to do it for the money. I really don't care. I just think you're right, though, guys. It's a, it's a pretty cool story. It's a power of, you know, there's so much that to unpack in that story from, 
you know, not doing it yourself, people helping you and overcoming the odds and never giving up. There's a lot that my story can offer. And there's a lot of down times, a lot of tragedy, heartache and tough times. But in the end, that's the stuff that builds character. That's nobody gets to success by just breezing through it. Everybody's got some challenges. No, you don't get a free pass. And yet I think that those peaks and valleys and the fact that, you know, you're open about your professional athlete still going through things like anxiety and uh, substance uh, issues that I think is really, you know, helpful to a lot of people, a lot of kids specifically, because they're not, you know, they're in a different position. They're not, they're still looking for ways out. I mean, that's, so I just think it is really, really cool that you were that open about uh, it. You know, I think a big problem is in, uh, um, is social media because everyone's posting yeah. the, the best. And, yeah, you know, nowadays, and I feel this about a lot of young kids who are kind of growing up and, you know, they don't, you know, they don't really understand the ups and downs. They'll, they'll look at you and they'll see the two World Series rings. Yeah. And they'll see yeah. the 280 career batting average. And suddenly it's like, oh, well, he never had. He, he never had, had to work. Yeah, yeah, or or Zach's, Zach's editor of a, a chief editor of a major magazine or Don's doing what he's doing in fitness. And I'm like, oh, my God. Someone the other day turned to me and they said, God, you're a 20-year overnight success. And I started laughing because they know what I had to go through. <laughs> yeah. And every day for 20 years with almost losing my business five times and – borrowing money and, and running into specific you know financial issues with my business and all these things that I'm not afraid to talk about because this is part of the story my story is still going on but right. you have to keep telling this story it's an important story and it's going to motivate a lot of people and if they don't hear that story they're not going to understand the word resilience and they're not going to understand the word hard the words hard work and just persistence and all this important stuff that you hear that makes a superstar in their right mind, whether it's in the financial world, whether it's for a magazine, whether it's in fitness or Major League Baseball, whatever it is, but no one got there because it was easy. Right, 1,000%. You're gonna be successful, you gotta put in the work. I love it. So listen, uh, Aubrey, we, we know, I mean, I can tell where they're going to find you. You find them on Google. Go yeah, Google yeah, yeah. Aubrey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no, we don't have to, we don't need you to spell. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this one out for my man over here. Go Google Aubrey Huff. Listen to his story. Check out his Instagram page. One of the more inspiring guys I've been around. Really, really, really a pleasure to know you. I can't wait till you come to New York. We can go and have a couple of beers and just kind of kick back. Hopefully I'm in New York next time when you're in town. Well, let's do and, it. And read his book. <laughs> yeah, read his book. Read oh, his yeah, book. And, your, and your book. Can yeah. You, can you... Can you yeah, talk about that it's, uh, it's Baseball Junkie. It's on Amazon. I mean, it's not it's not on Kim or anything. So it, I didn't really um, write it to make a lot of sales. It's it's out there, but if you guys want to read it, it's pretty. Uh, it was very therapeutic for me to do. Well, well that's why I want to read it because somebody that that is okay with like you know letting it all hang out and just being as honest as possible. Those are the books I want to read. I don't want to read the like like you said. You're open about your story. I don't want to read the people that are trying to sanitize everything because. Life's messy, man. Like shit happens, and you, you get over it by learning how other people have done it before you, or you you know you can find a way out that way. So that's why I'm super interested in checking that out, and your book too, Don. Whenever you let me write it. Whenever, whenever I let you write it, we should write one. You want to help me write a book? Yeah. I'm in. Sure. All right, Aubrey. Listen, thanks for your time, man. And definitely next time you're in New York, man, dinner and drinks are on me, man. We got to go catch you. Got it. I right, gentlemen, that was fun. Talk to All you. All right, thank Thanks you. Again. Bye bye. Okay. So that was it. That was episode four hundred and seventy-five. Aubrey Huff. Way off. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so we at Don Saladino. At Zras, my man over here. Reps at MuscleAndFitness.com is the email address if you want to send us questions and uh, praise. Uh, please do. I would love that. We would love that, and we would also love continue to make suggestions and recommendations because what we're doing right now is these are. 
we're putting the we're bringing people on and because you want to hear them and we want to hear it. So yeah. just please keep recommending what who you want to listen to and we'll make it happen. And the topics you want and we'll uh, we'll go after people. Yeah. Like we will literally go after yeah. them. Exactly. I'm going to just watch. I'm not that tough. I'm just uh, Bye guys. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Now I'm depressed. <laughs>